This is Phoebe, and I am coming to you solo today to tell you about some cemeteries I've been to out here in California. But before we get started, I just wanted to let you guys know that I've started a GoFundMe for Elizabeth, and she needs financial assistance and uh, has a really hard time asking for help, um, so I asked her if I could do this for her. And she's fine. She's just dealing with uh, some more frequent symptoms related to her ME, which I go into detail in the GoFundMe. Anyway, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, if you have donated, thank you so much. Spreading the word is also great if you have already donated or are not in a position to donate. And yeah, so thank you again. For, for hearing me out. We don't want to do ads for this thing because it's just not enough of a thing and it's for fun. We do it for fun. Also, <laughs> maybe if we were a little more consistent and didn't do it uh, one month out of the year, then we would consider monetizing. But anyway, so if you enjoy the show, consider throwing some dollars towards her. Back to today's episode. I went to three cemeteries out here. I'm in Santa Clara, California, and I went to the Santa Clara Mission Cemetery, which is right nearby. It's less than five minutes away from where I am. And then I went to the Madrona Cemetery, which is in Saratoga, and then I went to the Oak, I think it's Oak Hill Memorial Park. Yes, Oak Hill Memorial Park, which is in San Jose. And there were three very different but very interesting cemeteries, each in their own way, kind of what they represent as far as different sorts of city cemeteries. So starting with, I'll, I'll go in chronological order of when I visited, and I'm going to post on the Instagram, I'm going to post pictures and kind of do um, some posts like what we did back in 2020 when we did our cemetery reviews. So I'll, I'll be reviewing these for aesthetic purposes there. So the Santa Clara Mission Cemetery was founded in 1851 by Jesuits, and the grounds are really, I think it's 54 acres, and they have just a whole bunch of different kind of types of tombstones and burials. They have a few mausoleums, both for full-body burial and also uh, interment of ashes, and then they're just like you know, big open spaces with a lot of trees. I actually was double dipping when I went there. I was checking it out, just, yeah, I mean, like checking out a cemetery, but also I was doing some bird watching and it was, it was pretty good for bird watching. There's enough space and enough different kind of open area, but also uh, areas with a lot of trees that the birds like. So the notable burials 
for for Santa Clara Mission Cemetery include Tiburcio Vasquez, who the it's Ves- Vasquez Rocks. It's north of L.A. where they filmed Star Trek, like a bunch of different Star Trek stuff, including uh, Kirk's showdown with the Gorn. That's maybe the kind of most famous use in Star Trek of, of that landmark. But it just isn't a ton of TV shows and movies and stuff. They're named after him. They were a hideout of his. He was, depending on who you ask, a bandito or a freedom fighter. He was active in 1854 through 1874 when he was finally convicted of murder and hanged. He grew up during the conquest of California by the U.S., and he said his crimes were a result of the discrimination by white Americans and promoted himself as a defender of Mexican-American rights, which is the way he's seen by a lot of people. And also it's a documented historically that, uh, I guess, newly minted Mexican-Americans, Mexicans uh, who happened to, you know, live in the places they had always lived when America decided there was gold over there and they wanted all that land for theirs, were discriminated against after California became part of the U.S. He's thought to be one of, the, uh, one of several different inspirations for Zorro. And he supposedly did not go in for a lot of killing. He mostly stole. Uh, on the Mission Cemetery website, he's referred to as the Robin Hood Bandit. Yeah, so so him finally hanging for murder was also seen as some sort of gross miscarriage of justice because somebody else in his group said that he had actually shot the people that uh, Vasquez was being accused of killing. And he, I believe he was from a family of people who were pretty affluent and educated and... So he's also kind of a, like, intellectual, too, and also a ladies' man, and just just a very interesting dude. The other person that I did a little bit of research on was a grave that I saw, and it's these three pillars. I was like, that looks cool, and I had, uh, I had Joseph come over with me <laughs> to look at it, and he actually looked him up, and there was a kind of on two of the pillars there was a space for there to be some sort of little metal sculpture and one of them was a biplane that was in it had been damaged and the other one was missing so I wonder what that was probably something else having to do with flight because this is the grave of Robert George Fowler who is the first person to make a transcontinental flight in stages from 1911, the end of 1911, into 1912. I think Hearst, William Randolph Hearst, was having a contest with a cash prize for anybody who could do a transcontinental flight, but Fowler ran into some aviation problems and ended up completing his flight after the deadline so nobody got the prize but he finished his flight 
and his uh, his plane, it was a right biplane with a motor engine mounted on it. He also flew across the Isthmus of Panama in 1913 and w- with, with another person who was taking film of parts of the trip. Pictures from that trip and then another flight in San Francisco were published in a magazine. And the Department of War was worried about compromising some sort of military information because San Francisco was still just a big military port at that time. And they asked the uh, Attorney General of San Francisco to investigate and they arrested Fowler, the photographer, the journalist who wrote the story, and I think the editor of the uh, magazine. Charges were dropped by a grand jury. But he continued to work in flight and furthering technology in that field. So I think there are, there are a couple of other just kind of people of local interest in the Santa Clara City Cemetery. Or, wait, no, Santa Clara Mission Cemetery. Yeah, it was a really, it was a really nice, a nice place with some benches to sit on. And a couple of big old mausoleums. And they encourage people coming through there and going for walks. So there are a lot of paved paths throughout. And it was just, yeah, a, a, a really nice place. So, rustling my papers here. The second cemetery I went to was the, the Madronia Cemetery in Saratoga. And this is characterized as being a pioneer cemetery. It was created when the first people who had settled, the first Western American settlers, had created this little town, and then the first people died, and they needed a place to put them, and they started burying them on this piece of land that turned out to be the land that belonged to a farmer, and he ended up donating land for this cemetery to be established there. So the Madronia Cemetery Association formed in 1863. There's a part on their website that's interesting about there there was no perpetual care fund. It wasn't established until 1912. And so upkeep over the years seems like it was a huge problem because individual families were responsible of keeping up their family's plots. But there were a lot of people who didn't, their family moved somewhere else and they would have to rely on the kindness of strangers to provide upkeep for for the cemetery. And that did not happen. Uh, so the, they finally established a perpetual care fund, and it's lovely. It's it's a really lovely cemetery. It's smaller. It's like twelve. I think twelve. Does it say twelve and a half acres with lots of trees? Just it, there's something very New England about it. It's like on a slight hill, but not really. It's like just kind of a little bit of an incline, and it's kind of tucked back near a school and in a neighborhood and it's really green and uh, the cemetery is also an arboretum and there are QR codes on all the trees 
there are 294 trees from 91 different species. So that, that was a cool thing. You can just go around and learn more about trees. Some notable graves there include a Riley Septimus Moultrie. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, he was a member of the First Relief Expedition that was sent to rescue members of the Donner Party in 1847. I actually, in the next cemetery, there were a bunch of people from the Donner Party in there. And then also Painless Parker. This guy was really interesting. His grave, not interesting. It is his name and birth and death dates, and that is it. And his name actually was Painless Parker. He changed it, but his tombstone or his it's actually uh in ground like marker it says i think his first name was edgar so it just says edgar parker there's no indication of the man he was who was a street dentist there was a quote from the american dental association calling him a menace to the dignity of the profession he had the parker dental circus which was a traveling medical show uh, he later on had a horse-drawn cart with a dental chair in it that he would do extractions. And he had the Parker Dental Circus. He, he, he was struggling to advertise his uh, dental practice, and he ended up meeting a guy who had worked for P.T. Barnum, who helped him come up with this whole concept and advertise his show to attract clients. In the late 1890s, he went around offering $5 to patients if they felt any pain for an extraction. Previous to that, he would give them whiskey or more often he had this cocaine mixture he would give them as a numbing agent. In the end, he ended up running 28 West Coast dentist offices. Uh, he promoted dental health through flashy demos. Once it got to the point where it wasn't really socially acceptable to like practice on people anymore, he uh, created some elaborate show that was all about dental hygiene and using props and stuff. It was, I just thought it was interesting that advertising dentistry practice was looked down on and even outlawed in places in the U.S. Uh, around the turn of the century. So that's Painless Parker. And then, let's see, there's Frank Dorsa, who was the inventor of the Eggo Waffle. Also, Grave, a little disappointing, just a very nice, I think it's him and his wife, just a very nice Grave. I really wanted it to be like a big Eggo Waffle, but... Thomas Kincaid, the, the American kitsch painter, uh, is there. And then the, the main thing I was excited about that I did not know was Marianne Day Brown, who was John Brown's widow, is buried there along with several of their daughters. John Brown, militant abolitionist, thought violence was... The only way slavery was going to end in the U.S. is pre-Civil War. He led a raid on Harper's Ferry, which was a federal armory. And 
the idea was that's where the slave rebellion was going to, the U.S. slave rebellion was going to start. They were going to storm the armory and then take the weapons and distribute them among enslaved people and start a slave uprising. And it failed. And John Brown was convicted of treason and uh, hanged. John Brown is buried in upstate New York on the farm where they lived there. And that was a whole thing that's very interesting. But as far as his wife goes, she left for California as a pioneer in 1859. Um, She was also an abolitionist and supported her husband's efforts. She helped raise money for enslaved people escaping to freedom. They owned, well, I mean... It was the 1800s. Everything was owned by John Brown. Um, They had a wool warehouse in Massachusetts that was uh, part of the Underground Railroad. And she came to California in part to escape notoriety. They were kind of being hounded a little bit where they were. In New England, it wasn't as bad. But John Brown was still seen as a traitor, even, even amongst people in the North. Uh, I mean, there were a lot of people who were also sympathetic and especially kind of like after the fact, but they came out west and they ran into Confederate sympathizers pretty much the entire way who wanted to, she was traveling with one of her sons and they were always threatening to kill the son. They killed some of his sheep at some point, like it's just so part of it was escaping notoriety her daughters that came with her they kept trying to work on emancipation and equality they taught in schools for black children in california i was doing research on her on mary ann day brown She's kind of been characterized as, like, passive and slow-witted. And since, like, a lot of her involvement is, like, she, like, raised her kids and, like, kept the farm in North Elba running. But also, like, that's kind of what they wrote down about women in history for the most part in this time. And she... She did believe in abolitionism, and it, it was for it was kind of the same same way her husband believed in. He believed he was on a like divine mission from God to end the practice of slavery in the United States, and she she also had similar like she it was against her her understanding of Christian faith. So anyway. Marianne Day Brown, buried in Saratoga, California. This cemetery, the Madrona Cemetery, is interesting because you have to live in Saratoga in order to be buried there. Or or have some sort of familial claim. So I think that's how... Also, it's really... I looked at some of the costs to be buried there. It is really expensive. (laughs) So in contrast to the 12.5 acre cemetery in Saratoga we have Oak Hill Memorial Park which is 350 acres 
It was founded in 1847. It's the oldest and largest secular cemetery in California. It's run by Dignity Memorial, who runs, like, I think 1,900 locations in the U.S. They're a huge company. Like, they're a management company, and they have, I think they have a funeral home on site there. And when I was researching it, I was kind of like, wow, like, that, you know, ah, like, giant-ass company running the cemetery. And I got there. I was like, oh, 350. I, I actually didn't know how big it was before I went there. I knew it was big, but I hadn't looked up the acreage. 350 acres is so much. You almost need a corporation to manage that. There were like, I saw multiple teams of grounds workers and it was absolutely massive. And there was a bunch of it I didn't even really get to see because I was like wandering around for a while. And then I was like, wait, is that more? And yeah, I'm going to have to go back at some point. It was really interesting to see there was an extremely large population of people from different Asian countries there. And there was like a whole, there's a little Japanese mausoleum-y type thing for ashes that's that looks kind of like Shinto in its architecture. And there's a huge section of uh, Japanese graves around it. There were people who were from Thailand and Vietnam and I'm trying to remember China. I'm trying to remember if I saw, I don't know if I saw anything that I could specifically see was Korean, but I imagine Korean people there too. But yeah, it was just, it was really interesting. And like a bunch of their graves are, are it's slightly different. It's a slightly different thing from what, you know, like white American thing where there's like, you know, kind of tombstone and then like big slabs, sometimes at an angle on top of where the, like the caskets are in, in the ground. It was just, it was really interesting to see the, the different styles and I saw some people who were coming to, like, hang out. They were obviously visiting um, somebody's grave, brought some lawn chairs, and they were just going to hang out. So it's also nice to not feel weird in in a cemetery where it's just like, oh, like, so far out here, it's been very, like, uh, the first two cemeteries definitely saw several people going for walks, and then at Oak Hill, which is less in a neighborhood. It's kind of its own. I mean, it's 350 acres. It's, it's this huge chunk of land with other businesses and stuff around it. But there weren't a lot of people at Oak Hill. But the people that I did see were kind of there to, like, hang out. So I didn't feel, like, as weird just, like, walking around. It is a pretty active cemetery, though, so I guess that's the only thing is, like, if they're, you're more likely to find a service in progress. I didn't encounter any. I went pretty late in the day. It is also right in the flight path to the San Jose airport, which seems not great if you're trying to do a, a 
very solemn service and then all of a sudden you have this like southwest flight real low right over you anyway so some of the i I have two two different points of interest one of them is a woman who was part of the black and women's rights movements and the other is a memorial to the 10 members of the Donner Party that are buried in Oak Hill Memorial Park. So I'll start with the Donner Party. In case you don't know about the Donner Party, it's really interesting and also probably like the, it's like sometimes with, with what we talk about, sometimes it's like, okay, is this getting too true crime? Because I don't want to do that. But the Donner Party, at least, is of historical significance. Although it does get into a little bit of um, the kinds of sensational stuff that, that true crime people like, I guess. So in case you don't know, the Donner Party was a group of pioneers who got trapped in the Sierra Nevada mountains in the winter uh, of 1846 to 1847. They were going out west on the Oregon Trail and decided to take a less established shortcut that someone had kind of recently established as a possible way to like shave off time getting out to California. And it ended up just screwing them over royally. Um, A lot of them ended up resorting to cannibalism to survive. So the people who were buried at Oak Hill Memorial Park from the Donner Party, a lot of them are children of people um, who are part of the Donner Party, but one of them is James Reed, who helped organize the party. And he... He ended up, there was like an altercation at some point and he stabbed a dude because the dude, I think, hit him and also his wife and then he stabbed him and the other members of the party wanted to like hang him but his wife was like, no, please don't do that and so he ended up being banished. So he kept going so he left the party and kept going west and ended up coming to a homestead and then a little town and tried to gather supplies and take them back to the party because they were already like they had already run into a bunch of bad luck even before they got stuck for the winter but he couldn't get back because of the weather and then he got embroiled in the mexican-american war which was going on at the time and then Finally, after the winter, I think it was in February, he was part of the first relief who that other guy from the uh, Madronas Cemetery was also part of first relief uh, who found a bunch of the party members and brought them back to Santa Clara. One of the other Donner Party members who's buried there is William Henry Eddy who was part of the Forlorn Hope group, who were the kind of most able-bodied people who left in the winter, who left where the Donner Party had camped and tried to make it on foot to get help 
in California and he was one of the few people who survived that attempt. So the last person that I'm going to tell you about is Sarah Massey Overton, who was active in the late 1800s and into the turn of the century in both the black rights and women's rights movements at the time. She was involved in the fair public education movement, which wanted to have black children be able to go to public school in California. And then she was a charter member of the San Jose Garden City Women's Club, where she lobbied for an interracial women's group to promote universal suffrage. And then she was also the president of the Victoria Earl Matthews Club in San Jose, which provided aid to black women and girls threatened with sexual abuse. She also ran a successful catering company with her husband. And I was really sad to find that there's not a marker on her grave currently. There aren't any pictures on Find a Grave, so I don't know if it's just missing or if there wasn't one, which I find hard to believe. So yeah, I was sad about that because she, she was one of the cooler people who's buried there. There are a bunch of people who are, you know, people of note. Like there's a woman who is a psychic. She died like in the last, I don't know, however many years. Uh, that's kind of interesting, but there are a lot of politicians, and uh, I don't know, they're all just dudes um, doing politics, which is mm, a little less interesting. There might be some really cool people who I skipped over just because they didn't look like they were more than just, you know... Democrats or Republicans and bleh. sounds disrespectful when I say it like that. Anyway, yeah, so the the Oak Hill Memorial Park was also a great place to to walk around. It was a little overwhelming. I think the biggest cemetery been to before that Actually, I don't know. The biggest cemetery that Elizabeth and I have been to together in Nashville is probably um, Mount Olivet, which is very sizable, but it's like 200 and something acres. It is considerably less than, than Oak Hill. So yeah, that's a little fun jaunt. And I hope it was informative and it's not just you having to listen to me ramble about some different historical people. I'm going to try to go to some other places that are maybe a little further afield. I really want to get up to, I can't remember the name of the cemetery, but Wyatt Earp is buried there and I think that there's, I, I mean, I want to go down to LA and go to Hollywood Forever, which is such a touristy thing to do. But, I mean, what are you going to do? 
And maybe I'll find some other places I can get to. I think it would be really interesting to go to some cemeteries that are more in the desert and see kind of what a cemetery in kind of different landscape looks like. We've got a little bit of a taste of it here. There are some parts of the uh, Santa Clara Mission Cemetery that were very just... It doesn't look like the grass died. It looks like there's hasn't been grass there for a very long time. It's a little bit more barren in that way. But then there are other parts where it's a lawn. So who's to say? But it makes me wonder what what a whole a whole cemetery in the in in a more arid climate how it would differ. The last thing I'll mention today is this article that Elizabeth forwarded to me. It's from 2020 and it's about grave gardening. It's pushing up daisies, why grave gardening should be the latest gardening trend. And it talks about the kind of history of grave gardening being a thing, uh, specifically talking about cradle graves, which are graves that Sometimes look can look like bathtubs because sometimes they're just uh, oval, but other times there's like an obvious header and footer and with sides. And they were created specifically so you could just not just leave flowers, but plant flowers on a grave. And the article talks about how that was a thing for for a while. They were especially popular during like Civil War period, Victorian period in the South and Midwest in the U.S. And they kind of went out of style because of maintenance. You, know, you have to have somebody like actively tending those graves. And a lot of the time it was a family member. But then if family member either moved or passed away, it's like what I was talking about earlier with uh, maintenance, with grave maintenance in the Madrona c- Cemetery, then you just have an out-of-control like unweeded garden so maintenance rules started coming into place about like you know and now what they look like is the you know seasons where you can leave flowers or rules about fake flowers because like you know run over them with a lawnmower they get all shredded and then there's little bits of a lot of the time polyester fabric all over the place which isn't great so Grave gardening, this this uh, this article is saying that grave gardening should come back as a way to honor the people who have died and also to make the people who are grieving feel better by having something to, to tend to. And gardening releases endorphins and you're outside. It's an interesting article. And I will post a link to it in the show notes. So thank you for joining me today for this solo episode. Hopefully we're going to be doing one more episode before we call it quits this season. And uh, hopefully that'll be coming at you soon. Maybe in time for Halloween. But if not, hope everybody has a great holiday and get a lot of candy, find something fun to do, don't be lame, wear a costume, and stay stiff. Did you laugh?
Oh, wow.